Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. And my colleague and Brooklyn Director and New York Regional Director for Chosen People Ministries, Robert Walter and I would like to talk a little bit with you about Rosh Hashanah and about faith and about Abraham and Isaac and so many other wonderful uh, biblical truths that uh, grow out of the Rosh Hashanah story. Traditionally, the Jewish community actually reads what we call the Akedah, literally binding, the story of the binding of Isaac from Genesis chapter 22. And we read this in the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah because the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn, reminds us of the ram sacrificed in Isaac's place. Right, Bobby? That's right, Mitch. This is definitely an interesting topic, one that when we come to Genesis 22, there's quite a few uh, really significant spiritual ramifications for believers in Messiah today. And I am really looking forward, Mitch, to really digging into this topic. Yeah. If you missed some of the shows where we were talking about the overview of the festivals, you can go to chosenpeople.com slash radio, and you'll be able to listen to them. The first is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. The second, 10 days later, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm -hmm. Then five days later after that is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. We see three great overarching themes for these three great festivals. Rosh Hashanah, focuses on repentance. Yom Kippur focuses on atonement. Literally, it is the Day of Atonement. Sukkot, or Tabernacles, focuses on joy. And joy is our response. It's a rightful response of all believers who have repented of their sins and found atonement in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. So let's drop back again to Rosh Hashanah, and Bobby, tell us a little bit about the shofar. What is it? Why is it blown? What kind of sound does it make? And why is it important to the story? Yeah, so the shofar, like you mentioned, it's a ram's horn that's taken and and basically bored out. So you make a, an instrument out of this this horn, out of this this ram's horn, and it would use it was used for uh, multiple different reasons and had lots of different purposes in the ancient Near East and in the scripture. So it would be used for battle. You know, if one army uh, was going into battle against another, the ram's horn would be used as sort of a rallying cry and really to strike fear into the hearts of your enemies. The ram's horns were also used as a way to signal the arrival of the king. So if the king of Israel, if the procession of the king was approaching a town or a city or, or wherever, the ram's horns would be blown to signal that the king is on his way. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the ram's horn is also related with this idea of repentance because it would be used in temple worship as a way to signal internal introspection, this time of making sure that your heart is right before the Lord. And the reason that it's used, the reason that the shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah, it's taken from Leviticus 23, verse 23, where we initially get the command about this holiday, about this feast. And this is what it says. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first of the month, 
you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Bobby, one of the most interesting parts about that text, I think, is that we read the blowing of the trumpet. It's actually the day of the blowing. It's Yom Truah. And actually, the Hebrew word Truah is not pronounceable. It's actually the sound that the trumpet makes. Truah. Right. And right. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole I'm, I'm yeah. not going to go through the whole thing. I think but, that's called uh, onomatopoeia. It is an on, yeah. Right. I know it was something like that. I went to the New York City school system, Bobby. So I've okay. Well, New Jersey's more advanced. So yeah, and I remember growing up in a very orthodox kind of atmosphere in New York City, and you know some of the Jewish holidays, particularly on the when you're orthodox. Which I went to an Orthodox Hebrew school. My father was not particularly Orthodox, but he became far more religious at the holidays, like a lot of Jewish people. And my dad would take me to what was really a, a little synagogue that was carved out of the basement of a home. Mm-hmm. In I grew up in the borough of Queens, where we actually had some basements, unlike Manhattan and some other boroughs. Mm-hmm. And it was very close quarters, Bobby. I got to tell you, you know, sounds and, like. It. And you had, you know, 30, 40 Jewish men, because the women were not in there, 30, 40 Jewish men who came to hear the blowing of the shofar. And I remember sitting there as a kid, and uh, whoever it was who was going to blow the shofar got up in front and blew it. And I'm tell- the last blast of the shofar, you right. kind of hold until you pass out from yeah. lack of breath. Yeah. It's, it's like an elongated note. It, go, it goes on forever. It's Tekia Gadol, the, the great Tekia. Right. And I'm telling you, all I wanted to do, Bobby, was run out of the room. And But but it, it really explains the relationship in the Jewish mindset between repentance and the blowing of the shofar. Yeah. It is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. But exactly. boy, boy, did it make me feel uncomfortable. And so it's supposed to make you want to crawl out of your skin yeah. And I always love it when I meet folks who say, I really love the sound of the shofar. I said, then they weren't blowing it properly. You know? <laughs> You're not supposed to love it. It's supposed to drive you insane. Right. Right. And it's supposed to drive you into introspection right. so that you begin thinking about your own sin. And that's, that's the blowing of the shofar that I grew up with, Bobby. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's supposed to make you feel unsettled so that you can get your affairs in order and, and get your life straight, you know, because again, it's sort of tied in with this idea of the king is coming, you know, which is a big theme during Rosh Hashanah. Now, another interesting connection with Rosh Hashanah and the blowing of the ram's horn, the shofar, is Genesis 22, is what you mentioned earlier. It's called the Akeda, the binding of Isaac. And Mitch, tell us why, what's the connection? What's the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Genesis 22? Because we know that this scripture is meditated upon, it's read in the synagogues every year at this time. So God told Abram to take his son, his only son, his beloved son, the son of his love. Abraham, uh, if you remember, said, Hineni, here am I. And that's what I used to say when the role was called in Hebrew school. <laughs> you know, it just basically means here. Mm-hmm. I'm available. 
And uh, so God called out to Abram, and immediately he was on what I call a hair trigger obedience. So immediately Abram didn't know what God wanted, but he just said, here am I, I'm available. Mm -hmm. And then God said, take your son, your only son, the son of your love, go up to Mount Moriah and make a sacrifice. Well, at that point, I don't think Abram was really totally clear yet uh, about what God was calling him to do, but I think he was getting the picture. And so they start walking up the mountain. And uh, I think Abram is maybe sort of hoping it wouldn't happen, but he's walking up the mountain. Isaac, who is a Na'ar, which is probably a late teenager in -hmm. Hebrew, and he was carrying the wood on his back. And if you remember Abram, uh, Isaac's question, which was so poignant, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And of course, Abram didn't turn around and say, it's you, kiddo. And mm-hmm. They just kept walking. And then Abram bound Isaac. Now, Isaac could have taken him in a wrestling match because Abram was over 100 years old and, and Isaac was a teenager. But Isaac was very innocent. Isaac was very obedient. And Isaac was submitting to his father. Right. And so Abram bound Isaac, laid him down on the altar, lifted his knife. And then the angel said, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then Abram got a ram out of the thicket and replaced Isaac with the ram. And Isaac was free to go. Right. And so there's so many incredible themes here that point to the Messiah. The Messiah was innocent and perfect. He was willing to submit himself to the will of the Father. I think somewhere along the line, Isaac may have realized he was about to die, especially when Abram had the knife up. Yeah. And Yeshua realized that he was about to die, and yet he was willing to go through with it. And in the instance of Isaac, God spared Abram's only son. But of course, the fulfillment of this image, this prophetic image, which is so beautiful and so moving, is John 3.16. Because there, John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, as Paul would say later, did not spare his son as God spared Isaac. And you know the interesting thing about all of this, Bobby, the ram's horn was, in a sense, uh, is blown to remind the Jewish people that God didn't allow Abram to slay Isaac, but rather provided a ram. So God provided a sacrifice, which is very meaningful, because it was on that very mountain range where the temple would be built, and on that very mountain range where Jesus would die. When we hear the shofar blown, it's a reminder that God provides the sacrifice. And he did provide the sacrifice for us in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So Mitch, the uh, the traditional greeting on Rosh Hashanah is, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. And we then wish one another a sweet new year. And you know that with greetings like those, there's bound to be food involved. Oh, you bet, Bobby. You know the, the story of Jewish history? They tried to kill us. We beat them back. So we ate. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's the summary of Jewish history. And so the foods really do express the character of the holiday. And so there are a couple of things that we do. We use a special braided Sabbath bread, challah. It's round, baked with raisins. 
to symbolize the circle of life and the sweetness of the new year. And uh, by the way, my wife makes the best challah there is, not your wife, Bobby. <laughs> and uh, she does include a lot of raisins, which is great. I think another very important uh, symbol, which is represented by a, a dish of food, is um, apples. We take apples, we cut them up, slice them up, and then we put a nice little tray of honey uh, on the plate, mm -hmm. and people take the apples, say a special prayer, dip it into honey, and it reminds us that we're hoping, hoping that God will give us a sweet year. Now, the reason we're hoping that God will give us a sweet year is because none of us are ever assured that we'll have a sweet year, mm. because Rosh Hashanah kicks off what we call the 10 days of repentance leading to the Day of Atonement. So, Bobby, we understand that the great theme of Rosh Hashanah is repentance. And in the Jewish mindset, because we have no temple and no atonement, repentance seems to be the pathway to forgiveness and atonement today. Mm -hmm. And so, what are some of the traditions surrounding this? Isn't there a tradition about books in heaven being opened up? Share a little bit about this for us. Yeah, so actually the way that it's observed today in the Jewish community, it's suggested that the book of life is opened up on Rosh Hashanah, and then that's when the time of repentance begins, this time of introspection. You begin to ask your family members, your friends, if I have offended you or if I have sinned against you throughout the year, please forgive me. So throughout 10 days from Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there's constant repentance. And there's this desire and this attempt to do things just right so that you can assure that your name is written in the Book of Life because now it's open. Now's your chance for the next year. And then when Yom Kippur ends, at the, the very last service, it's called the Ne'ilah service, the books close and then your fate is sealed for the next year. I know growing up in a Jewish home, I always knew that something was missing. At the end of Rosh Hashanah, I never knew for sure where I stood with God. By accepting Jesus as our Messiah, the atonement, the real atonement for our sins, that's the only way we can know where we stand with God. The only way to get your name transcribed in the Lamb's Book of Life is by accepting the sacrifice of the Lamb of God for your sins. In the book of Acts, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. It's a call to action that we all need to take seriously, and one that Chosen People Ministries has been fulfilling since 1894. If you'd like to learn more about some of the countries we're working with, then be sure to request our latest calendar. It's called To the Ends of the Earth, and it's our gift to you today, just for reaching out and saying hello. Once again, the calendar is called To the Ends of the Earth, and we'll be happy to send you a free copy today. You can request the calendar online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or ask for the calendar titled To the Ends of the Earth when you call us at 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. According to the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, repentance, prayer, and charity can avert the severity of the evil decree. Jewish tradition teaches that on Rosh Hashanah, God opens two books in heaven, 
the Book of Life, and the Book of Death. For the following 10 days, each person has the opportunity to repent of bad deeds to ensure that his or her name is written in the Book of Life. At the end of the 10 days comes the Day of Atonement, when God inscribes the names and closes the books for the next year. These 10 days are called the Days of Repentance because they are a somber season of soul-searching and humility. The Mishnah states that the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement only atones for the sins against God and not for sins against other people unless one first asks forgiveness from the person who has been harmed. In Judaism, corporate repentance takes precedence over personal confession. During these 10 days of repentance, it is necessary to take initiative and make amends with those we have wronged. At the end of these 10 days is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. On this day, one must call to mind the sins that one has committed during the last year. The confession of the Al-Chet prayer illustrates the repentance of all Israel in searching for, as one recites, for the sin which we have committed before you by hard-heartedness, and for the sin which we have committed before you with immorality, and for the sin which we have committed before you openly or secretly. For all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. The Hebrew scriptures are clear that God is ultimately the only one who can truly atone for us. David proclaims, Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. The psalmist proclaims, God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, which is the beautiful truth. However, if God is the one who atones for our sins, then he is the one who sets the ground rules for how atonement may be given and received. In the Torah, the actions taken by the high priest on the Day of Atonement atone for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. The details are given in Leviticus 16. Unfortunately, the procedures described there are different from how the Day of Atonement is practiced in Judaism today. The Torah requires Israel's high priest to sacrifice a bull, a ram, and two goats for his sins and the sins of the people. Moses says, Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. Unfortunately, because Israel no longer has a high priest or temple, this permanent statute can no longer be followed. The loss of ability to complete these procedures after the destruction of the temple left a vacuum in the whole atonement process. Many different solutions were put forward to fill the gap. When there is no temple, the rabbinic sages said, prayer three times a day substitutes for sacrifices. Or, perhaps God counts studying the laws about sacrifice as if one does the sacrifices. Or, one could substitute personal suffering for the sacrifices, or give charity to the poor. Or, perhaps God would overlook prior sins if we do better next time. All of these and many more have been proposed over the last 2,000 years. However, the most enduring solution to the loss of the temple has been to emphasize the beauty and power of repentance, teshuvah in Hebrew. That is why the 10 days of repentance are so important in Jewish life. 
Believers in Yeshua can learn a great deal about repentance from the soul-searching practices in traditional Judaism. They show us that our choices matter and that grace does not exist so that sin may abound. Thankfully, we can be certain about how God forgives us. We need not wonder whether we have prayed enough, repented enough, or given charity enough. Even the loss of the temple and the priesthood does not affect us. Why? Because our forgiveness is not dependent upon our own merits, or even the procedures of the temple, but on the perfect righteousness and sacrifice of Messiah. Yeshua is our High Priest, and He is the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. The New Testament proclaims that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, take some time this week to consider your sins, to repent of them before God, and to ask forgiveness from those against whom you have sinned. But if you have placed your trust in Messiah, you can also rejoice because your sins are no longer held against you, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. He has taken our penalty removed our guilt, and given us His righteousness in return. Praise be to God. You are listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free messianic calendar for you just for connecting with us today. We'd love for you to stay up to date on the biblical festivals and holidays. For example, Sunday night begins Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It's very appropriate to bring your friends a plate of apples and honey. And you want to say Shana Tova, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. So we'd love for you to learn more about Chosen People Ministries, and we'll send you our Messianic Jewish art calendar for free when you connect with us at chosenpeople.com slash radio, or when you call us at 888-293-7482 or 888-2-then-Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, Y-E-S-H-U-A. Now, you can also request the calendar by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.
At Chosen People Ministries, we want Jewish people around the globe to hear the gospel. And by joining our Watchmen for Jerusalem program, you can help us reach this goal. Your generous giving will enable us to support our staff in the United States, Israel, and around the world as they witness to Jewish people every single day. Your support will also fund our Messianic Jewish centers and congregations in busy Jewish communities such as Tel Aviv, Rio de Janeiro, and right here in New York City. And then finally, your gifts will allow us to continue our digital evangelism efforts through social media and our online discipleship program. Learn more today or sign up online when you go to chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or ask to join our Watchmen for Jerusalem program when you call 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA, Y-E-S-H-U-A. Thanks. We look forward to hearing from you soon.